Well, welcome everyone, and we know this is a series on parenting in, the, in our sermon series. And, you know, this series started because of questions that I was receiving in the church. Um, I was in the book of John, we're moving through John fairly well, week by week, and then within about four weeks, I had multiple people from our church saying, what do I do about this, what do you think about this, and so on and so forth. And I, and I was, uh, realized it was like an overwhelming uh, um, amount of questions regarding kids. And I thought, well, why, why not stop in John and just take the time to deal with the questions? Because if this is a need in our church, uh, why not deal with it? Because uh, we're not in a rush and we're not in a time schedule. And every subject's important. And this is clearly on our church's mind right now is raising our children. Um, then last week, or not last week, the week, the week we, we did the, the sermon series, we did self-sacrificial love as the first sermon. And today is going to be on discipline, godly discipline. And I realized that this is going to be a really sensitive issue for all of us. Um, at least I think all of us. And the reason is, is because if we've been raised in homes where discipline has been done the way God designs, we, are, we can understand why it should have been done that way, and we can see the fruit in our own lives, and we're grateful for the, the upbringing we've had. A lot of us, though, weren't raised in those environments, and we know nothing but pain from that. And so um, the painful uh, remembrance, remembrances that we have and memories are just uh, make us sort of like... Um, want to like shut our ears to the word of God in terms of the word, even the word discipline, it actually can sometimes resonate in a negative way in our, in our souls and our hearts. So I, I understand that this could be a sensitive issue for many of us. And uh, at the same time, though, um, we can't hide under a rock and not deal with it because it is unfortunately a part of the parenting job that is, is constant. We are, we are called to be the, uh, our children's authority in their lives. From the, from the day they're born to the day they leave home. So for most people, that's 18 years. So for 18 years, we're, um, this is part of parenting. And so if we, don't, if we hide under a rock for 18 years, I mean, our children are going to come out the other end with, with a few uh, scars and bruises um, in an emotional and spiritual sense. So again, this is not my wisdom um, that I'm going to speak to you today. It's God's, and if and if we get into discussion, um, well, we are going to get into discussion. You can interrupt me anytime through the sermon too, if you want, ask questions. But likely, again, I will be answering your questions like further down the line or in another sermon in the following week. Yeah, so I'll just give you those uh, precursory notes, and um, yeah, just to say that that's what we're going to tackle, and and just. Keep your, your heart sensitive to the Word of God today. I do want to address one thing, though, before we start from last week's, uh, or the week, I always say last week because I feel like we preached last week, but we weren't here last week, but the last sermon. I talked about um, self-sacrificial love, about self-sacrificial love and setting up our children for success by having clear instructions and boundaries and laying out rewards for obedience and consequences for disobedience. Now, if you remember that, I want to make a clarifying statement to that. Because one of the questions on your parenting sheet is, do your children have clearly defined boundaries in terms of they know the consequences for disobedience and rewards for obedience? Now I used uh, God as an example in the Mount Sinai, who said, if you do this, life will go well for you. If you don't do well, life will not go well for you. And he promised the, the consequences up front. Um, he didn't just do it on Mount Sinai. It happened multiple times. Uh, where Moses would have to repeat the words of God to the people and whatnot. But, but here's what I want to make clarification on. Depending on the age of your children, you don't have to, every time you go to do something, tell them, this is what's going to happen if it goes wrong, not well, for, or here's what's going to happen if you sin against me, kind of, and here's what's going to happen if you do well. You don't have to, every time, lay out the consequences and instructions. You can, you, but what you have to do is at some point in the childhood's development, you have to lay out both sides. At some point, they have to know what obedience produces and disobedience will produce. And then as they cognitively get older, you don't have to repeat them as much because you know it's in their brain. But when they're young, like super small, uh, like, you know, a two and a half, three, they're going to have to be probably more reminded of the instructions on both sides, what the negative and the positive will produce in terms of obedience. So again, you have to use wisdom and whether you think your kid cognitively remembers. Um, so it's not like God, every, God did every day in Israel do this. Um, I'm going to repeat the Ten Commandments to you today from Mount Sinai. 
and do that for 40 years in the wilderness. He didn't. He did it once, but then whenever the uh, and then there were small reminders throughout their lives, and God would follow through on both sides if, if they obeyed or disobeyed. Same with us as parents. We have to at some point clearly lay out the boundaries for disobedience and obedience in our children's lives, and then at that point um, remind them um, when we feel necessary. But you don't have to be a broken record every single day. And they'll get it. If you follow through when they disobey you, that's your, that's your chance now to repeat the command that you've given them in the home. And that's when, they come, that's when that comes. But Does that make sense? So you're not like a broken parrot, broken record like a parrot that's always say, saying things out. I will say this though, in, in, in important, um, in important um, situations where you're out of the ordinary, or there's like a, you're in the big, like maybe in big public places or like social gatherings, it might be important to reinstitute your, your commands to your children. So for example, um, I don't tell my children every time we go out my expectations for obedience and what will happen for disobedience and what the rewards will be. But we went to Pine Ridge House Church two weeks ago for the service. Before the church, that was a big deal because Denise wasn't there. I was alone with the three boys and I was in a new environment with the kids. I sat the boys down in the van before we got into the building and I clearly laid out for them what life would look like, how well it would go for them after the service if, it, if they listened and what life would look like if they didn't. And they both, they all, two of the boys, because they're cognitive to understand, acknowledged it and we went in and we had a great day. If they, and so I, and I followed through with the reward after the service. But I don't do that every time because that's a very unique situation. There's a hundred people, new environments, and so on and so forth. But the boys, um, like I said, I was nervous that I'd have to follow through because nobody likes disciplining their kids. Nobody loves it. I mean, it sucks. That's an unfortunate thing we have to do to those parents. So, anyway, does that make sense? Any questions about that before we move on? No? Okay. We can talk about specific examples too if you like, uh, like you know, later on. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. Evie is uh, on, a, on a Facebook page for moms. And uh, there was an interesting thread going through Facebook of moms uh, regarding parenting. And she sent me this and I thought, what a perfect uh, way to introduce this topic of discipline to our church because this thread is real life moms in Okotoks dealing with real life issues. And Kevin was gracious enough to put this together for me last night. But this is, so this is a real thread, this is a real thread of Facebook, um, and we deleted the names, obviously. <laughs> but uh, this, is a tr this is the question that went on the Facebook page for moms. I need some advice. I have a nonstop whining two and a half year old. What do you mommies do? Okay. And I, we, this is all the answers in response to, this is the response to this Facebook uh, thing. I find sometimes getting them out of their regular routine helps. Taking them to the park, play dates, anything really that gets you out of the house and keeps them busy. Uh, next one. Same problem. I tell her, no one wants to hear you crying and whining all day. That works for about 45 seconds, lol. I'm always just telling mine I'll put him for a nap. If they aren't using words, pretend not to understand them until they speak in an appropriate way. Earplugs and deep breaths. I found ignoring works the best in lots of outdoor time. <laughs> yeah. I want just to pull my hair out. Don't worry, so do we all, right? Uh, both my husband and I told her we couldn't hear her when she whined and ignored her completely. Drink a lot of wine. <laughs> My kids are both whiners. I tried everything. Then I began whining back at them. I whined louder and longer. No one likes a whiner, not even a little kid. I'd love to have been there. That would have been a great visual to watch. I usually put them into timeout, but that's happening too often. Timeouts need to be done for when they are bad or something is done wrong. Well, that's a very interesting comment, actually. Because to her, and we'll we're going to talk about this, but to her, whining is not bad, and whining is not something a kid has done wrong. But we'll talk about that. Anyway, okay. Um, to be honest with you, 
if I hadn't, if I wasn't a Christian and I, and I didn't have the privilege of knowing the Word of God, I'd be joining the Facebook page and going, I hear you, I'm also pulling the hair out and uh, drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> so, um, I don't even like wine, that shows you how bad that my kids must be if I'm drinking wine. So, yeah, we're not laughing at these answers because we're ridiculing them or judging them. We're just saying, listen, we get your, we get it. And we understand uh, the, uh, the implications of what's going on and why you're struggling. But you know, so Abby uh, did pipe in at the end and give a, a suggestion from the Word of God. And she had to frame it in a way that was very gentle. Um, sorry, I'm just going to pull up the other PowerPoint. So she, and after she, she, she chimed in, there was no other comments. Like, it, it ended the thread. Very interesting. It just ended the whole discussion. I don't know if that was coincidence or, or what, but the, the thread just kind of stopped from there on in. All right, so we're going to go together through the scriptures. And uh, we're going to start at Proverbs 22.15. <clears throat> Proverbs 22.15. I encourage you all to follow along because I'm going to call, I'm not going to read them. You guys are all going to read them and you're going to participate with me and it'll keep you, um, keep you engaged. So we're going to do this, we're going to, as a church, do the Proverbs one at a time. We'll wait for all of you to catch up and there's no rush. <coughs> Proverbs 22:15. So the first step I'm going to give you four, to, well, I think it's around six or seven, but uh, we'll probably only cover four today, maybe three, depending on how fast we go. I'm going to give you a systematic approach to dealing with your child in the age with discipline and how we would correct whining, for example. Uh, when we're all done, we should all know how to correct whining. <laughs> and we'll walk through practical examples of that. Um, but the first stage in step one in godly discipline is this. You have to understand the nature of your children. You have to understand the nature of your child. Someone read Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Okay. Any other words than folly in anybody's Bibles? Foolishness. Foolishness. Yeah. Okay. So God says this: Your child starts from a position of foolishness. That's important because the assumption by God is that your child is not morally neutral. The boy or girl isn't born with wisdom. Your child is born with foolishness and folly. And, and it's interesting because in the New Testament and Old Testament, both the whole Bible, all the passages support that none of us are born or are, are morally neutral. It says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can possibly know it? So the heart is wicked. We are, we are all morally not neutral. We're all born into sin. And we're born in foolishness. This is extremely important when, you, when you're dealing with your children. And we'll, we'll get into this in a second. Um, because when we, when we see kids do stupid things, we know why. So uh, we, uh, when, 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 uh, when my sons or, or any of your kids do things that you're like, why in the world did you do that? You don't have to ask the question. God tells you, because they're foolish. <laughs> they're not wise. Of course they do the things. And, and this is very interesting because, uh, again, when um, you, I mean, I've done this. I'm even guilty. I'd even, even though I know the Word of God, I still do this. And then I catch myself and go, why did you ask that question? But we ask things like this to our children after they do something silly and, and sin against us. We go, why did you do that? Have you ever asked your children why? Like, why did you think you'd get away with that? Or why did you think that was a smart thing to do, to pee in the plant? Or why did you think that was smart to draw on the couch? Like, why? And what do your kids do? And my kids do. They'll do two things. They stay in silence. Like, like they, don't, they don't have an answer. Or they go, I don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They, and I'm serious. They don't actually know why. If you ever had your child give you a wonderful conclusionary statement to why they just did the things they did, they never do. They, most of the time, they're either silent or just shrug their shoulders and goes, I don't know. They don't, and, and, the, and the God knows that they don't know. They don't have the chemicals in their brain yet because they're not teenagers to reason. And God says, you're the one that's to teach them how life works. And when the, that's why when they become teenagers, they butt heads against you. 
Because when they start to get the chemicals in their brain to start to reason and make decisions, they're making them off of the way they've been raised <coughs> up till this point. But the, the point is this, is that we don't have to ask our children why when they do things. All we need to do is address the behavior. So, um, so if you do ask your children, well, why did you do this and why did you do that? You could probably just stop doing that. And you can just rely on the fact that God says they're foolish, they're morally neutral, and that is, uh, they're not morally neutral, and that is why they're doing it. <laughs> right? So I thought it'd be fun for a laugh, if you'd like to, and if you don't want to, that's okay, but does anybody want to share any foolish stories? <laughs> Blake, go ahead. Punched a wall. <laughs> yeah, punched a wall. <laughs> hey, Blake, why? Why did you do that? <laughs> I don't know, right? <laughs> That's brilliant. Okay, anyone else got a funny, foolish story? I'm sure I just got some about me somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but if I tell them, you might tell That's true. <laughs> I, sprayed, I sprayed bear spray in my parents' house. Did you? Okay, right on. How old are you? Like 17? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. <laughs> totally. That's why you don't have kids yet. I thought Matt was a bear. Why? I don't know. <laughs> How about any of you with your actual children? Even up at two, three, four years old, like, or anything that's been like you're like, why in the earth? And you, you know. Oh. I'll tell one, and we'll and we'll move on. There's a. I thought I misheard Janice, but I was in another room, and the boys were upstairs, and I heard, <laughs> I heard Janice. At least I thought I heard her say this. Boys, stop sniffing each other's bums. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I, I, I said, I didn't hear that right. So I walk upstairs, and I go in, and Jackson and Jace are naked, and sure enough, they're sniffing each other's bones. And I say, boys, what are you, you know, what are you doing? And they're like, are you doing that? And they're like, uh, you know, just laughing. And I was like, I can't believe my wife has to correct my children. But again, they're foolish. Like, I mean, they don't even, uh, they don't even question these things, right? Anyway. Yeah, anyway, so by nature, that is just something that's fun to do and exciting to do. <laughs> so, to you, the twin boys, I mean, get ready. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, wow, I mean, that just takes the cake. But, okay, so foolishness then. But here's the key the assumption by God then, there's a natural assumption in Proverbs 22 if foolishness is done upon the heart of a child, then that means that the assumption by God is that you as parents start from a position of wisdom. Right? If they're foolish, and he says the rod of discipline removes it from them, the assumption is that we start with wisdom. And God has assigned the task of imparting wisdom into our children's lives from us. As Christians, that ultimately means life with God. And our wisdom is God's ways for life, right? So that means in places like, um, uh, well, I'll get into that in a second, actually. I'll leave that. But yeah, so if, we're, if we start from a place of God, uh, with God as the source, then that means that we impart wisdom to our children with, li with his life and his word at the source. And that's why passages like Deuteronomy 6, you've heard that one probably a lot in your life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is, our, is God. And then it talks about, this is the passage where he says, you will, um, uh, you will you know, teach them my commandments all the days of their lives. You'll bind them as frontals on their foreheads and put them as, on doorposts. In other words, it's a 24-hour, 360, well, seven days, how did it go? 24-7, 365, whatever. Basically, you will teach your ch the children my ways for life, right? And a really, really cool passage, really cool passage. And this, uh, this, is, this is really interesting. Those of you who know lots about Abraham and his place in the Jewish faith and even in our faith. Um, so if I were to ask you, why did God choose Abraham as the first person to, like, to, to be the, um, the first Jew and to bring Israel into Canaan and all these blessings he had given? Like, what, was, what did he choose Abraham for? In Genesis 18, 19, it says this. 
I have, command, I have chosen him so that he, Abraham, may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about to him. God chose Abraham so that the generations from his lines on would obey the Lord and do his commandments. Isn't that unbelievable when you think about the choosing of Abraham? We never speak about him really in those ways. But again, God has imparted to Abraham, I'm choosing you to start the whole nation of Christians because they're going to come from you for with one major purpose. I want them to learn from you to start learning how to teach the next generations my commandments. <laughs> again, wisdom comes from the Lord. And that's the wisdom we're to impart into our children. And there's a great promise uh, in Proverbs for, for those of us who do this. Someone read Proverbs 13.20 to me. Proverbs 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Yeah, walk with the wise and become wise. Okay, so parents, if your children walk with you, they will become like you. And if you're wise from the Lord's commandments, you will impart wisdom from God's commandments down to them. However, if we're not wise in the Lord's commandments, then all we will do is pass down on with, on our lack of wisdom or foolishness to our children. <laughs> this is why it's so important as parents that we know the Lord in a really, really strong way and we are sanctified in His truth. This is partly why I wanted to do the chronological Bible reading with you guys. It's not that, no, just reading the Bible is not going to make you give, have wisdom, it'll give you knowledge, but it's to give you a, a foundation so that you know the Lord's way, so that as we walk through the questions that we have together, we can learn to become wise. So since God then sees us as the ones with wisdom, and sees parents as the one, yeah, sees parents as the ones with wisdom, it's important that we take the time then how we want our children to communicate and operate within our families. If we're the wise ones and they're the foolish ones, we need to take time as a couple to communicate in order to pass down what we think is right and how to operate within the family. And I will suggest two categories. One is essentials and one is preferentials. Okay, what do I mean by essentials? Essentials in terms of wisdom passing down as parents is the absolute must from God's word. That means the morals and ethics of God's ways, right? So how they learn how to speak to one another and to others comes from the Word of God, right? No gossip, no telling lies, no slander, no taking the Lord's name in vain, words of gentleness, teaching them um, to be truthful, teaching them how to share the gospel, right? All of, these, all of these things I've listed are, are quoted in the New Testament in terms of, um, well, the whole Bible in that, in that matter, uh, where, where God's instructing the adult Christians not to be known for these things. Issues of morality, um, teaching them about stealing, um, dating, sexuality, forgiveness, our work ethics, generosity, all of these things, again, taught from the Word of God. And the list and list goes on. So these are the essentials. Again, it's worth, as a parent, sitting down and talking about the essentials from God's Word and how, we want, how you want life to look within the home. The other area is preferential. So preferentials are freedoms of choice that God gives you. So God doesn't care one way or another, but all He cares is that you pass down wisdom to them. Areas of preferential are like, what time do the kids go to bed? There's no passage for that. That's up to you. You're the wise one. Uh, how much... Do they eat every time they eat a meal? That's up to you. How do they eat at the table? Can they pour their water out on the, at the table? Or can they, is it the stand up? Can they throw food? Can't they? Um, are they allowed to talk with their mouth full or not? Like these are all your, these are your choices and God doesn't care. He, he just says, you're the one with wisdom, you decide. Because they're not moral and ethical issues. But again, um, as parents then, you have all these areas of preferential treatment. Like how they put their clothes away, what they wear, who decides what they wear. I mean, you, I mean it's, it goes on and on and on. 
So I want to give you two reminders then when you make these lists, the, the essentials and preferentials. The reminders require constant, constant communication between um, spouses. The, these lists require constant communication between spouses. See, you're going to have to revamp and change these lists as the children grow up. Uh, you don't tell a 13-year-old to stop pouring his water out on the table anymore, right? So you will constantly have to revamp your, your lists in terms of, especially the preferential areas. The, the moral and ethical issues will never change. Uh, how they express them might, but um, in terms of that instruction, but the preferentials will. And so you have to have constant communication between spouses. And so this list is never stagnant. Um, Here's a struggle that we have, and everyone could probably yell out amen and, and, and understand this. I don't know what it is about Okotoks in Alberta, but we live in the most extremely busy, busy, busy culture that I've ever seen. I've never experienced in my entire life of visiting in any country or living anywhere that's more busy than our community. My fear for our church, where we have to like press on to be parents, is that we shoot from the hip too much because we're too busy to be a parent. It, it, we have to carve out constant, constant, constant time with our spouses to say to each other, what do you think about this with the kids' behavior and which way should we go with like, life with them in the home? These are, these are just, we can't get away from not being a parent in these areas. It's constant, constant communication. Um, so the lists have to be made and remade frequently, especially in the first like, five years of their lives where they move from uh, like, the, like the, the growth rate, the, the rapid of growth is so quick and, and accumulation of language and so on. So, yeah, so one is constant communication between spouses. Second one is you can't make the list purely selfish and for your benefit. The list has to be for your child's benefit. So you can't go, well, I would prefer them to do this because that would make my life so much better in terms of my ability to have this or that. No, 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 it's what, what benefits them What's going to, what, what kind of things will help them as children when they get older? And you have to put them as the forefront for why you make the lists, okay? Here's the key. Once the list is in place, though, wisdom is now in place in your family. If the kid obeys your instruction, then you are wise. If they obey you, then you are wise. However, if your kid doesn't obey you, you don't follow through, you now become the foolish one. Do you see that? In Proverbs 22, 15, he says this. Um, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, comma, wisdom, will remove it far from him. So if you as a child have, or start from a position of wisdom, you as a child, you as a parent start from a position of wisdom, your child's foolish, and you're to remove it, if the child says no to your list of wisdom in terms of essentials and preferentials, you now move to the position of foolishness. Because the child says, no, I ain't doing that. I'm smarter than you. And you're the dumb one, mom. You're the dumb one, dad. I ain't doing it. If we don't discipline the child in that particular moment, now we have moved to a place of foolishness and the child is wise. Very, very sneaky. And anytime the child doesn't do what we want, again, if the list is, again, for their benefit and not selfish and it lines up with God's way, then we have to call it what it is. It's disobedience and sin. And we can't call it anything else. And I want to give you some tactics of child foolishness and you're going to recognize them. So, Because you're going to say, how do I know if my child's sinning against me? Well, the first thing is if they disobey anything that you consider wise, that's, that's key. But here's some child tactics of foolishness to delay, is, um, to delay uh, being obedient to you and to try to get out of obeying you. First one is a, is a delay. So they, you know they hear you, but they won't get off their butt and do it. Because they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, mom, later. Whatever, dad, later. So a delay tactic with no verbal communication is a form of disobedience. Because they know, they just don't want to listen. Number two, use of humor. Those of you with class clowns in your family and kids who are funny, because you'll have, you, you know, you, you already can tell probably who's more the comedian. They will learn really early because adults will respond to them and children respond to them when they're really funny. And they'll learn, oh cool, if I'm funny, I don't have to listen. So use of humor to get out of it will be a tactic. Another one will be whining, which is the whole purpose of that slideshow. Uh, whining is one. Uh, crying will be another form to break down in tears to try to make you have sympathy so that you don't follow through. 
the worst case scenario, which we've seen, is cause a tantrum, <laughs> cause a scene, like the cause a scene and throw a tantrum in public or in, or in the home. It can res and it often will resort to physical destruction of property, things like that. One of the ones that may be surprising to you, um, or maybe not, when they just flat out say no. Okay, can you go put your dishes away? No. No is an automatic form of disobedience. Uh, mean or sarcastic words could be a tactic of foolishness. And excuses. Well, I can't because I'm too tired. Oh man, I wish I could stop parenting when I was too tired because then I'd never do anything. Um, but you, so those are all child tactics or foolishness. If you're aware of those and you know your child's tendencies, you'll be able to recognize disobedience that, that quick. And I know my sons, I know which ones of this category my sons use. And if I were to ask you about this, which one of your children use, you'd be able to say, oh yeah, no one, no one, no one, right? And so you'd be, you'd be sensitive to that. Okay, so the only, the key though, though, is, um, and we, you guys know this, I mean, it's not a case of if your child's going to be foolish, it's how often are they going to be foolish, right? It's a guarantee. Every single day is going to be a guarantee. Every day. So the key then is that we are going to be on gut call to, to remove it from our children on a daily basis. And the only remedy for foolishness, according to Proverbs 22.15, is the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Okay? So now the step, second step now in parenting. After you understand the nature of your child, is understanding that... Um, God has assigned parents with the task of removing foolishness from their children. It's God's assigned you with the task and me with the task of removing with, uh, foolishness from them. Another way, in other words, producing wisdom. Part B of Proverbs 22:15, the rod of discipline will remove foolishness from him. I want to say it's important to recognize it's the parent's job to do this. It's not the school teacher. It's not the babysitter. It's not the day home operator, it's not grandma, it's not grandpa, it's not the uncle, it's not your friends, it's mom and dad. I want to, I have to clearly, clearly define that for you. Um, um, Kevin, look up Proverbs 3.11. Um, Callie, can you do Proverbs 13.24? And Blake, can you do Proverbs 15.5? Look for the common thread here. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Yeah, so he talks in the category here that the father corrects the son in whom he delights. It's the dad's job. Okay, it's the parent's job. Uh, 1324. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Right. He who withholds his, the rod hates his son. Again, it's in the category of father-son relationship. And then 15.5. The fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds the truth is prudent. Yeah, so whoever despises his dad's instruction. Again, it's in the context of disciplines, in the context of parenthood. What was Callie's? Uh, uh, 13.24 It's really important that we understand this because um, this, uh, if other people discipline your children it won't produce people, it won't produce obedience in them that is towards loving God and operating in his wisdom and there's one, there's a couple of reasons for this Number one is God designed it that discipline was within the home because if you're operating in God's way with first, the first pillar, which is self-sacrificial love, the child will understand that you're not, you don't only get involved in their lives only when it comes to correction. You get, you, you're, you're invested in their life and you love them like crazy, so when you discipline them, that's not part of your nature. You are actually, because you, you're, you're teaching them this, I, uh, when you discipline without self-sacrificial self love, you, dis you teach them that the only time that you're interested in them is when you want to correct them. And so they learn this, that, well, how come mom and dad doesn't love me? But every time they seem to take like, notice of me is when they want to correct me and discipline me. 
So uh, grandpa and grandma and day home operator, they can't, they can't correct your children because there's not a self-sacrificial loving relationship there on a constant daily basis. So when they go to correct your child, uh, it's never in the context of, of self-sacrificial love. So it doesn't address the heart of the child. So what happens is these people only usually do it out of irritation anyway. When other people outside of you discipline your kids, it's because they're irritated by their behavior and they're frustrated. And so it's their way of, of, of doing it. But it never changes the heart of the child. So it's, it has to be within the context of a loving home in order for the heart and the child's heart to be shaped. Okay, and we're going to do a whole section on the heart of a child at the end of the, like later on down the week and why, why producing children where we just care about their behavior is actually uh, not the way God would desire, design us to raise our children. We can't be parents focused on behavior. We have to be focused on the why of the behavior, not the what of the behavior. And we're going to get into that in depth uh, later on. So again, it, the context is within the parents. So if we're to remove foolishness, it's important to see that God has given us the role of being the authority in our children's lives. Why do I have to say that? Because 30 years ago, that would have been a no-brainer. But in this day and age, that's not a no-brainer. If I was to tell somebody that you have to be the authority in your child's life, uh, we would struggle with that in our society. Um, our culture is completely confused about authority, and in, in, this, in many instances, actually is anti-authority. The world we live in, believes that we are free if we have no authority. But God says you're only truly free if you're under authority. <laughs> right? And God, God set up his family this way. You can write these down by Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians 5. God gives a, a, an authority submission um, uh, context within the church and the family. And he says this, the husband is underneath Jesus Christ. Underneath the husband comes the wife, and underneath the wife comes the children. And if you are a husband underneath Jesus, guess how easy it is for the wife to come underneath the husband? Because he's operating like Jesus. So it's pretty easy to live under a husband who has authority in the home that looks like Jesus. <laughs> pretty, pretty awesome relationship. And then the children, with two parents that are under Jesus now, have the, the, parent, the children come under parents that both look like Jesus. So God designed authority in the home, and he had an authority submission thing because he knew family would work well. And it's interesting that in all of New Testament scripture, the only commands to kids, the only commands to children is to obey their parents. There's two places, Colossians and Ephesians, both places say, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And of the Ten Commandments, the fifth one was honor your father and mother. And honor, we this includes obedience in the Old Testament. No instruction to children except to listen to their mom and dad. And I like this guy named Ted Tripp. He wrote a book called Shepherding the Child's Heart, I think it's called that. He said this, the purpose for your authority in the lives of your children is not to hold them under our, your power, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely under the authority of God. Isn't that good? Your purpose for your authority is not to hold them under your power, like put them under your thumb like a dictator, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely under God's authority. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And those of us who come from painful backgrounds, where mom and dad have been like authoritarian, not authoritative, like they've been a hammer in your life and like always disciplined in unfairness and too harshly, that's because they're trying to hold you under, your, under their power, but not empower you to live a life for God and to love others. All right. I'll do one more... Um, one more thing, and then we will stop, because it's uh, already at 40 minutes. Uh, I'll be able to finish this in about five. Okay, so let's do step three now. Now that we've got step two under our belts, let's do step three. Oh, what happened there? Well, that didn't work out very good, did it? So step three, understanding the how-to of removing foolishness. This is the practical part now. How do we do it? 
Proverbs 22.15 tells you, the rod of discipline will move it far from them. There are two, option, two options available to parents. There's physical pain and environmental pain. Physical pain or environmental pain. I'll give you examples of God in the Old Testament with physical pain. After the golden calf in Exodus 32, what did God do? He had all the people who were responsible for the worship of that calf, with the exception of Aaron, he got off, like, he didn't get off, he got forgiven because of Moses' entreaty, because that was his brother. But the people who were responsible for leading the people into idolatry were all executed, gone from the congregation of Israel. Numbers 21 and 8, um, the Israelites start complaining about uh, God's provisionary care of them in the, in the wilderness. They, they're sick of the food that he's providing for them, the manna and the quail, and they hate it. They want to return to Egypt. God says, fine. He sends serpents into the, the wilderness and bite the people, and a lot of them die. <coughs> physical pain to get them to smarten up. And guess what they're doing? They're whining. God, we hate your food. We want to go back. I hate life with you. This sucks. He says, okay, fine. Death. <laughs> um, Achan in Joshua chapter 7, verse 25, he, he, after they take Jericho, he says, God says, when you take the city of Jericho, don't take any provision, don't take gold, silver, or any material things from their, from their camp. Leave it there. Achan steals it. God knows about it. They take him out and he's, he's executed for that. So physical pain. And that's just three examples of multiple ones. Uh, God does physical pain to Israel whenever they disobey him in, in huge moral and ethical issues. Environmental examples of God. Adam and Eve. Out of the garden. See you. Take a hike. Moses. Can't go in the promised land. You... Uh, you you struck the rock as I was speaking to it. You can't go in the promised land. Israel, off to Babylon. You won't listen to me anymore. So how do we do it as parents? Same way as God. You have two choices. Physical and environmental. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Um, Proverbs 22.15 Proverbs 10.13 Proverbs 29.15 Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 13, 23, 13. All of them, the rod of discipline will remove it from your child. So there's, there's a physical, corporal punishment involved. I'll give them again. 22, 15, 10, 13, 29, 15, 13, 24, and 23, 13. So, with small children, like Jacob's age, it looks like this. Um, Jacob, uh, you can't, he goes to pour his, his water out at the, at the kitchen table, and I say no, because I give him the benefit of the doubt, he can't speak yet, he doesn't understand cognitive, well, he can understand, but he can't speak, I say no, you don't do that with a stern voice, and then he turns around, does it again, I flick him on the mouth, like right there, like pop right on the mouth, and he'll cry for 30, 45 seconds, a minute, whatever it takes, so five minutes later, starts pouring out his water, Jacob, Flick, no, make him cry. And within three days, he'll be done. He'll never pour his water out ever again within three days. <laughs> right, Jackson? <laughs> He's smiling at me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, as they get older, you can move uh, to their, their hand. And then as they get older, you move to their backside. <laughs> And, uh, and, you, and, you, and you progress that way. But never, never when they're older, like, like and again, I, don't, I never slap them. That's, a, that's, a, like, that's not a appropriate form. I would just flick them because I'm, um, but I would, uh, never I would never slap my ch child in the face or anything like that. That's, a, like a, that's, not a, that's more of a punitive, um, disgraceful form of punishment. It's not actually a, a way of uh, maintaining love with your children. Okay, with teenagers though, you move now. Well, as they get older, I should say, like probably in the ages of like eight, nine, ten, eleven. Now, um, physical pain becomes more of a challenge, especially for the women, because you guys, your children are already bigger and stronger than you, and they can't do much. And if you're a man, and um, um, we have a 16-year-old boy from the wrestling team in high school, good luck, <laughs> right? So there, there becomes restrictions now with physical. Be able to physically overpower your children. 
and as you, as you get older, though, you, you can start dealing with the whys. You want them to be able to make cognitive good reasoning. So now environmental pain is your, probably your only option. Environmental pain for teenagers and kids that are older is trips are taken away. I know you're supposed to go here. You can't go there anymore. Um, sports removed. Favorite toys gone. Recreation activities, play dates gone. Sleepovers gone. Removal of earned privileges and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, uh, you promise X, Y, and Z, and you tell the kid, like as a, as a, like a ten-year-old, you know what? Um, you know, up front. Listen, I know you have a sleepover this Friday. These are some of the things I want to see done in the house before then. If you do these things, you get to go. If you don't, you won't. Instruction clearly laid out up front. You leave them because they're old enough now to know better. Friday comes around, nothing's done. Say, I'm sorry, you can't go. Cry, cry, whine, 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 because they didn't get their way. And so, but you follow through, and they will eventually learn. But if you're doing, if you're disciplining them early in their early stages, two, three, four, and five, this will become less and less of an issue. Here's a key, and I'll finish with this. Parents need to be prepared for their children's potential response to discipline. Don't expect your children to receive it well or like it. Someone turn to Proverbs 3.11, verse 311 and 12. And uh, hey, Tori, can you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, 11? Hebrews 12, 11 for Tori. And then, well, maybe, Sarah, could you read Proverbs again, 311 to 12? Sure. Since I saw you have it open there. Whoever gets there first can blurt it out. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son is whom he delights. Okay, so he says, do not, in verse 11, do not detest his reproof. Well, if he tells them not to detest it, that's because he knows that's a really realistic option for the child to not like it. So he's saying to the kid, don't detest it. In other words, like, um, um, don't not allow this to occur in your life because you need it. This will help to remove foolishness. But the fact that you could detest it means it's a viable option. And I know for a fact all of us in here and our children never like it. So detesting is an option. Um, and we have to be prepared for that. Um, loathing and rejection must be realistic possibilities. Otherwise it wouldn't be here. And read Hebrews 11 or 12.11. Uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Yeah, cool. So he says, no, what, what, is it, what was the words exactly again in the beginning, the part A? Uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Stop right there, yeah. There you go. So, I mean, God knows, right? But he says, those who have been trained by it. That's an interesting word. We'll talk about that more later. But you have to be trained by it. It'll produce righteousness and peace and so on. So here's, I want to now prepare you now to finish with the tactics of avoiding discipline. Because children know it's detestable, it's loathsome, they don't want it. So what tactics can you expect from your children? Promises of obedience at the moment that you're going to do it. <laughs> Begging and negotiating. And the only time for negotiation with your child is if they haven't heard you right or they need clarification. So if your child goes to negotiate, you still, you, don't follow, you still follow through. Unless you think they didn't really hear you properly or they, you need to clarify something. But other than that, you follow through every single time. All right? But promises of obedience are always the best. My little boy, Jace, is the, he, Jackson never makes promises. Jace always does. I promise I listen, I promise I listen. I know Jace too bad, like, you know. Anyway, we move on, right? So, like, follow through. Yeah, follow through. And here's a question for you, rhetorical question, and I know it sounds dumb, I know it sounds dumb, but you, in, the mo in the heat of the moment, you will have to ask yourself this question. Does God, yes or no, expect first-time obedience from you? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Okay, why won't we expect it from our children then? We, it's like they do something against us that they know is wrong, and then we're like, 
ask them again. And then they ignore and delay, and then we ask them again. And the reason why we resort to yelling as parents, for those of us who become yellers in our families, is because we don't get first-time obedience, and we get to a point of frustration and escalate. If you, I can promise you, you will never, ever, ever yell at your child ever again, except when they're in times of danger, if you get first-time obedience. Because watch this. Uh, I'm just making this up, but, but you know, uh, Elijah, like, can you go please put your car in your room? Please, please, please. Elijah, I told you to put your car in your room. Please, please, please. Elijah, I told you to put your car in your room. And then all of a sudden you're a yelling parent. Or, uh, early in his life, Elijah, um, you can play with your toy, um, but here's what I'd like you to do. When you're done, I'd like you to put it in your room, okay? Okay, Daddy, you understand, right? You can put it in your room. I understand. If you don't put it in your room, you'll be in trouble with, with Daddy, okay? But you can play with it as long as you put it away after. Okay. So then, he's done, he's done, he's playing, he's playing, he's playing. Elijah, put your toy in your room. No. Immediate discipline, you'll never yell. Right? It's that fast. Next time he comes out, two hours later, can I play with my toy, Daddy? Yeah. You know, okay, I want you to put it in your room when you're done, okay? Yeah. So, when Daddy tells you to, comes back out two hours later, he plays with a toy, you say, put it away, he goes and puts it away. He's been trained by discipline, you've removed foolishness from him, and he understands that you're an authority, and you're doing it in a loving way. And why might you want him to put it away? Because people are coming over that night for Bible study at your house. And man, wouldn't it be great if Mommy didn't have, and Daddy didn't have to clean up after work and get all the toys away, because everything's put away? Wouldn't that be a great idea? <laughs> right? So, anyway, um, yeah, next, next week we're going, to do, uh, we're going to do step four, which is understanding that discipline or lack of comes with promised fruit. So we're going to go through about, uh, we're going to go through on 30 passages in scripture, 30 passages, and we're going to learn what the negative fruit will be in your child's life if they are raised to be foolish, and what the positive fruit will be if they, if they are raised in wisdom. And it's all in the book of Proverbs. It's, it's brilliant. So we're going to talk about what foolishness looks like in a child's life and what wisdom will look like in a child's life and the promised fruits and the word of God.